Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to this second of two classes on the Book of Psalms based on a talk by Douglas Jacobi. Uh, if you haven't already done so, you might like to get a copy of his book. I recommend that. And I'm not going to talk any more this week. I'm going to let us get straight into Douglas's thoughts as he goes through his book, helping us to get into the Psalms. Take it away, Doug. Well, I'd like to take you through the, the chapters of Thrive. I'm not going to read the whole book to you, but I have a lot I want to share. And um, there are 12 chapters. I guess I'm playing with the number 12 here, right? 12 interesting facts about Psalms, 12 tips for studying uh, this kind of, uh, uh, this part of the Bible. And then I'm, I've got 12 chapters in the book. The first chapter is based on, perhaps it's the most famous Psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a wonderful psalm. And the question we're addressing in this chapter is, are you thriving or just surviving? Hanging on by the skin of your teeth? Or are we actually doing well? Are we flourishing? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a single psalm. The Lord is our shepherd. There's so much there. You know, the Lord is our shepherd in Ezekiel 34 also. God is our shepherd. Jesus says, I am the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd in John 10. It's a beautiful psalm. But God really wants us to flourish, to thrive. There's a Psalm uh, 128, verse 3, that talks about the olive tree. The olive tree. Did you know that these trees can be centuries old? I've seen olive trees that are almost a thousand years old. Even if the trunk dies, it still shoots up, shoots. And so the tree can continue to live even through a season of, of, of apparent death or dryness. Well, this is important that we as Christians not just hang in there, but without flourishing. But I would say even in tough times, we can still grow, we can still flourish. Each chapter in the book ends with several heart questions. I call them heart questions, and then they're prayer points. So, example, in chapter 1, uh, the one question is, am I reading this book as a self-improvement plan? Do I realize that a relationship with God is infinitely more than a new spiritual plan or to-do list? Another of the questions is, is there any sense in which my faith needs to be reignited, to be rekindled with fire from above? Um, let me share a couple of the prayer points. Prayer, to be honest in speech, not pretending to be doing better than I really am. You know, how are you, brother? I'm fine. Well, what do you mean? Like, I'm fine, like, yeah, okay, so-so. I'm flourishing. I'm thriving. We should be honest. Pray not merely to survive, but in Christ to thrive. So each chapter uh, ends with things to think about, to bring the lesson home, and then to pray through. So it works well as a, well, I think it works well as a quiet time. Chapter 2 is called The Two Paths, uh, and it's based on Psalm 1. There's the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. 
And actually, that's a theme that runs through the Bible. In fact, through every book of the Bible, I once did a sermon, it was a long sermon, it was like an hour long, um, years ago, and I taught this point from all 66 books of the Bible. <laughs> he went through the whole Bible, because it's there in every single book. It's a big one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in, the, in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And there it goes. This beautiful psalm. It's actually not a prayer. It's a wisdom psalm. It's quite a bit like Proverbs, or Ecclesiastes, or the book of James. It's a wisdom psalm, but you can pray it. And the very next psalm, Psalm 2, it's interesting to see how the psalms are connected. Psalm 2 illustrates what things are like if we reject God's rule. If we, don't, if, we, if we go with the counsel of the wicked, then things go crazy. And that Psalm 2 paints a picture of that. Uh, further on, Psalm 25, you'll see, is like a commentary on Psalm 1. It expands Psalm 1. So the psalms are not just thrown together randomly. They're organized loosely in the five books. There are certain emphases and connections and flows that we should notice. And I think that's really great. Uh, that Psalm 1 ends saying that the wicked will basically be blown away in the assembly of the righteous. Not blown away like, wow, I'm amazed about the teaching. You know, they're blown away like chaff is blown away on the threshing floor. They're such lightweights, they, they won't survive. But those who love the Lord will thrive. They'll prosper. Now, these days, so many people think prospering means getting a pay increase and getting the girl or guy of your dreams. Uh, not only is that unbiblical and, and, and unhealthy, it's out of step with the Old Testament. In the old days, prosperity meant that your crops were coming in so you could eat, not starve. It meant that you had children and grandchildren so your family line wouldn't be extinguished. And it meant that in the community you had a good name. You were respected. That's prosperity. That's prosperity. You're able to eat. Uh, you have descendants. And in the community... Uh, you have a good name. Chapter 3 is based on the Word of God. And I've selected Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. Of course, 119 is awesome. But 19 is quite intriguing. Because 19 actually, in a sense, gives us two words of God. Or two... Let me, let me explain that. Firstly, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Day by day they pour forth speech. No sound is actually heard. They don't actually use words, verse 3, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. So the Bible teaches that nature is like a message from God. Now, it only tells us certain things, but that's one way that God speaks. And that's why, as a Christian, I try to have a very healthy respect for science, because science well done helps us to see God's actions, his intentions. It's wonderful. And then the next section of the psalm says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. And it goes through uh, talking about the word of God under six different descriptions. And then it ends with a great prayer, not just for us to do the right thing, but to say the right thing and think the right thing and meditate on the right thing. And that is a beautiful psalm. And 19 and 119 can be linked together uh, Chapter 4 is called Finding God in the Psalms, and I based that on Psalm 130 and Psalm 103. Wow, I love these things. I wish I had time to read them all to you. 
Uh, but I, I think they'll be quite familiar. And we notice certain qualities in God in these Psalms. Uh, I notice the, the quality of power, superiority of God to the false gods, praiseworthiness, mercy, sovereignty, solidity, that is, he's real, and also availability. He's accessible. These things are emphasized. So in the Psalms, even though we're looking at someone else's prayers, and these are more community prayers than anything else, we can learn about God. Chapter 5 is called Double Focus, and that's on being focused inward and outward. If it's only outward, uh, we're not going to be very balanced. If it's only inward, that's not ideal either. If we want the character of Christ, it needs to be both. So Psalm 117, I already read that short one about you know, God's care for the whole world, for the nations. That's the outward focus. And Psalm 40 begins this way. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud of mire. He set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And the psalm keeps on going. So basically, when we really know God, we appreciate him. It comes out. We want to express it. We're outward focused. But just trying to be outward focused without really knowing God, that's not going to work very well. We're going to get discouraged very quickly especially in our society. And um, what makes it hard to focus? I mean, electronic devices, uh, like video games too. I gave those up in January. It really helped me with my prayer walks. I, I didn't give it up in February. <laughs> then the next month, March, I thought, you know, I need to get back to that. I need to give it up because it's so distracting. It could be excessive social media. Drugs, legal or illegal, unspiritual friends can make it hard for us to focus on God. Peer pressure, like pressure to know what's going on in the sporting world, but not to know what's going on in God's world, the biblical world. Or pressure to keep up with fashion or obsession with health and exercise. I've got a whole list of things there. Um, check it out. Chapter 6 is called The Darkness. Because so many of the Psalms deal with a human situation, and so much of the human situation uh, is painful. Uh, we should not be surprised. Um, and I focus on Psalms 12, 46, and 88. Uh, I'd like to share with you just something from the book. No one should think that the Psalms, or the Bible for that matter, is a self-improvement plan or an easy road to bliss. You know the kind of worldly philosophy I'm talking about. Think the right thoughts, the world will smile on you. The scriptures are profoundly realistic. They acknowledge that the world is often not a happy place. Our own lives may be riddled with pain, injustice, and confusion arising from both. Not all is light. Even with sound doctrine, solid faith, and spiritual friends, we may still walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And if those words don't mean something to you, it's probably youth, spiritual youth, but we see in time as the Lord strengthens us and you know, he never gives us more than we can handle, but pain and suffering and death, disappointment, ambiguity, confusion, this is part of the human experience. It's part of my experience. Uh, Psalm 12, I'll just give you an excerpt. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. 
Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips. They harbor deceptions in their hearts. Wow. How about Psalm 88? Very dark. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. I'm overwhelmed with trouble. My life draws near to death. I'm like one without strength. You overwhelmed me. My eyes are dim with grief. I'm confined. I cannot escape. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. I'm completely engulfed. You've taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Wow. And in the psalm itself, in the Hebrew, the final word of the psalm is darkness. A darkness where the psalmist is overwhelmed without strength, grieving, suffering, terrified, engulfed, confused, lonely. Pain like this can strangle our hope and stifle our faith. Let's work with that. Let's work on that in faith. The the Psalms of Darkness also help us to have a proper orientation. You'll learn the difference between Psalms of Orientation that help us to think biblically and faithfully, that reflect a confident belief in the world is well-ordered, reliable, and life-giving if we have faith. The Psalms of disorientation that reflect times of confusion and the brokenness of life when things are not orderly anymore but chaotic and even brutal. And then the Psalms of new orientation where we can believe in God again. The pit is not the end of life. The surprise of new possibilities is right there. Now, if I can quote an eminent theologian, Martin Marty, the one who speaks about the wintry, the wintry landscape of the soul, which we become increasingly acquainted with as we age physically and spiritually. Here he says, Psalm 88 is a scandal to anyone who isolates it from the biblical canon, a pain to anyone who must hear it apart from more lively words. Whoever devises from the scriptures a philosophy in which everything turns out right has to begin by tearing out this page of the volume. I mean, you just can't, you can't read uh, the Psalms and, and maintain um, a view that's just all sweetness and light. And our Lord was well acquainted with suffering. Chapter 7 is called When I'm Drifting, and that's based on Psalm 73, which is kind of a psalm about someone who nearly loses his faith and then comes to an eternal perspective. And then, you know, I like the, the numbers, 73, 37. Psalm 37 is uh, don't fret because of the evildoers. Don't fret when people succeed in the ways. Don't fret only leads to evil. I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken. He tells us, don't fret. You know, we, we get anxious and we shouldn't. It's part of the human experience to be anxious, but we don't have to be that way. And so chapter seven of Thrive is called When I'm Drifting. You'll need that at some point. Chapter 8 is called, Created Me a Pure Heart. It's all centered around Psalm 51. And, wow, this theme of uh, Created Me a Pure Heart inspired me to record an entire series of lessons. Usually I start out the year with 30 podcasts or so. um, And the series was called Purity, Cleansing, Leprosy, Exorcism, and Reanimation, as in bringing people back to life. It's a whole series on that transition from death to life, from impurity to purity. And just to help us jumpstart our year, um, I was so inspired by Psalm 51. This theme of purity is vital 
because sin affects the whole church, even if it's private, even if it's hidden, especially when older Christians, uh, persons of influence, leaders, ministry staff, are not addressing the epidemic of impurity. What kind of impurity? Things that make us unclean spiritually. Pornography. Huge. Rarely addressed effectively. Gluttony. Hmm. Medieval church thought that was a mortal sin to overeat. That's interesting. Alcoholism. Crude or coarse language. Overspending. Prescription abuse. Medicine, in other words. You add your own list. Chapter 9 is called Prayers You Shouldn't Pray. Now, of course, praying is healthy, uh, but some things in the Psalms we cannot pray as Christians. Now, the truthfulness, when it's raw, when the emotions are hard, yeah, it's good to be authentic. But Psalms contain some prayers that are actually sub-Christian in content and attitude. They're honest, but they're not gracious. And I would not encourage you uh, to use all those words any more than I would encourage you to use profanity in your prayers. We still need, we have self-control here. So on the one hand, some of these psalms, in particular the psalms prayed against enemies, what's called the imprecatory psalms. Some of these psalms, well, they're all, they're all part of Scripture. We can learn from them. But they're aspects that we must reject I can give you an example from one of the very brutal psalms, Psalm 58. Psalm 58. Do you rulers speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? No. In your heart you devise injustice. And your hands meet out violence on the earth. Now listen to what happens here. He says that these people uh, go astray from birth. They won't heed the tune of the charmer, like a cobra that stopped its ears. Listen to this. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Wow, break their teeth? Tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let the arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts as it moves along. Like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Before your pots can feel the... Heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they're avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then people will say, surely the righteous are still rewarded. Surely there's a God who judges the earth. Now, can you really pray that? Like, I would rejoice to dip my feet in the blood of so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. No. And Jesus didn't treat his enemies that way. Even enemies who seem to know what they're doing. Jesus says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So, peacefulness, meekness, humility, gentleness, forgiveness, and love for the enemy is something in Christianity that comes straight from the character of Christ. So, those Psalms show me, okay, that's how he felt. Better to tell it to God than you know to act on it. But... Christ is actually calling us to a higher standard. There are many things in the Old Testament that were appropriate for the time, but they're no longer appropriate in the New Covenant. We're called to a higher standard. Chapter 10 is called Christ in the Psalms and the Psalms in Christ. You know, although we read the Old Testament going forward, you know, we're looking ahead in time, we're, looking, we're anticipating the Messiah, the Old Testament is best understood when viewed backwards. 
that is in the light of Calvary. And this entire chapter is to help us. And I'll just give you a bit of Psalm 110. Again, the most quoted chapter in the Bible uh, from the Old Testament. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Already, the Lord said to my Lord, and Jesus got good mileage out of this, a descendant, David is saying, a descendant of his is his Lord. Wow! The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. Okay, so this is a king. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It's a priest. Now, in the Old Testament, you couldn't be a king and a priest. You had to be from Judah to be a king. You had to be from Levi to be a priest. Messiah can be both, though, and Hebrews explains that. And then it says, the Lord is at your right hand. He'll judge the nations. He will drink from the brook along the way, so he will lift his head high. But this is the psalm that shows a descendant of David is not just the Messiah. He's divine, and he's a king, and he's a priest. That is powerful stuff. And I believe a proper study of the psalms will deepen our appreciation for Jesus and make our faith stronger. Chapter 11 is I called Singing in the Shower. It's on the power of music. Do you sing in the shower? Uh, do others complain if you do? And when I was a young Christian, I really wanted to, to know the songs. Like the, the, I remember the day before I was baptized, I was at a campus retreat in the woods of North Carolina. And some of the songs were kind of easy, especially choruses where the leader sings and you repeat the words, right? But I remember they were doing this, this song, There is beyond the azure blue a God can silver human sight. And the words were hard to follow. It was tortuous. It was hard. I constantly said the wrong word. Well, maybe you had that experience when you first became a Christian. I remember um, I would write down song lyrics on paper and put them in a plastic sheath or laminate them, hang them from the shower head, and practice singing while I was getting clean, cleaned up in the morning. I don't know if my friends in the dormitory always appreciated me doing that, but I found that those few minutes showering were a great time to work on memorizing things, including um, the words of these songs. Well, this chapter, Singing in the Shower, explores the dimension of music, and also this is where you're going to find the extra psalm, the psalm that's not in your Bible, Psalm 151. I think you'll enjoy it. Open my mouth. That's the twelfth and final chapter. It's based on chapter 81 and chapter 115, which I love, though I will not read them right now. But we are encouraged to open our mouths to receive God's word. Uh, how does the Lord put this? Um, you know, uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That invitation, which we make even evangelism. That this is Psalm 34, verse 8, actually. But that if we just try it, it's not just a mental exercise. We have to actually try it out, and this, will, this is going to be great. I pray, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. So we want to be filled. Uh, we open our mouths, not just to declare God's word, but to receive it. There are some extra bits in the book, as I've mentioned. A section called Psalms for Every Occasion. Now, that's not a complete index, but... It gives you a few examples of psalms in 60 different categories. And then there's the page for memory suggestion. Well, in the last three or four minutes, 
of this class. Uh, let's bring it all together now, okay? Let's bring it all together. I've introduced you to Thrive using Psalms to help you flourish. It's an introduction to the Psalms. It's also a quiet time book. It can easily be done in 12 days. And uh, I've tried to put together a number of series, a number of books like that. Because, you know, every book of the Bible is inspired and useful. Now, if you ask people, ask a Christian audience, do you believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful? Who believes it's inspired by God? Amen. Everyone believes that. Useful. Well, they might say they believe it's useful, but by our actions, do we think it's useful? Most Christians don't read the Old Testament, except very selectively. Most of us would agree that it's inspired, but we don't show a lot of conviction. We don't use them. I want people to be as excited about Psalms as they are about Amos, as they are about Hebrews, as they are about Leviticus, as they are about Genesis. Every book of the Bible is awesome. I want to know what's in every book of the Bible. I want to know what's in every chapter. I want to know my way around. Uh, I, I don't want to know anything better than I know God's Word. Thriving, to truly thrive, is going to take work. It's going to be focused. We have to focus. It's like cultivating a garden. It's like cultivating the garden of the heart every day. And if you've slipped in daily meditation on God's Word, I urge you to bring that back. Uh, you know, I can't prove you have to read the Bible every day. The Jews didn't have Bibles except, you know, maybe the leader or the temple or the synagogue. Christians didn't have Bibles until there's a printing press. But you went and you paid attention and you think about it and you take it seriously. Please remove the electronics that compete with your Bible study. Even take them out of your bedroom. Make a plan and stick to it. Thriving does not mean that all goes well. Suffering is the way we build the character of Christ. Romans 8, 29, the little quoted passage. And so thriving doesn't mean that everything is smooth. In fact, it could be the opposite. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So let's not confuse happy feelings with true joy and flourishing. Please don't stop with thrive. Our brother Roland Monhe in the Philippines has written a superb book on the Psalms. You'll find at my website, douglasjacobi.com, a number of podcasts on the Psalms, audio lessons. And if you would like the notes to this class, I'm posting them at my website. Search phrase Thrive, N-E-C-C, or you can simply type in N-E-C-C. That should take you straight there. So do you want to enjoy fellowship with the Lord? Well, are you willing to listen to his voice? Let's not look to ourselves. Let's look to God. And he speaks to us in every book of the Bible. The Lord has so much to say, so much to share with us. And as the ancient Christian leader Ambrose said, as in paradise, God walks in Scripture seeking man. You'll meet the Lord in the Scriptures. I promise you'll meet the Lord in the Psalms. And that can help you and me thrive. As in paradise, God walks in scripture seeking man. Thank you for listening to this lesson. Well, I hope you enjoyed that second class. If you have any thoughts or questions, drop me a line. Malcolm at MalcolmCox.org. Again, if you want to get a copy of this book, I think it'll bless your life, enrich your devotional life, and perhaps even our congregational lives. If you have any other thoughts about classes you'd like to see recorded, uh, taught, uh, or even people who might teach them, then do let me know. Until the next time, take care. God bless.